you sort of sit and operate in your tiny little world and you're a minnow inside a really, really big pond and you just don't feel seen and you don't feel valued and appreciated in a way that's like if Joe or Sally or Bob or Sue left tomorrow, would they really be missed? Would they be remembered? Would they really be valued? That's Emily Jansen on this episode of Time to Sing Your Song. Sometimes a reluctant soul needs a push to find abundance in their life. That was certainly the case for Emily. You see, Emily's story looks so much like everyone else's. Big dreams of possibility in corporate life only to see them dashed. Glass ceilings, reorgs, infighting, competition, lack of mentorship. You know, the highs and lows, mostly lows of corporate life. For her, the ultimate low was having her job eliminated two days after declaring that 2022 was going to be the year of abundance. Although depression and a lack of confidence crept in during the first few days after losing her job, it didn't take her long to figure out that the scarcity of corporate life was no longer for her. Reluctantly, she started her own marketing agency after being passed over for several jobs. And now she is beginning to see the abundance of her new life. My name is Mike Kearney, your host. And after spending nearly three decades at Deloitte, I am devoting my life to helping people sing their song as a coach and as a podcast host. A lot of people ask me, why would I have given up such an incredible career to go on this journey? And it's really because I want to help people. I've learned that the best teachers are those who are down and out and somehow, somehow are able to create a better life for themselves. Stories of rock bottom and redemption, normal people like you and me, the inspiration for this podcast. If you are someone who is feeling a bit lost or out of sorts at your company, Emily's story may just provide the inspiration you need to make a change. Although Emily was a reluctant entrepreneur, her story brings to life that when you declare your dream and you cultivate real community, transitioning to something new is really not that scary. It's not to say that it's easy, but the upside is often far greater than continuing to live a life that you know is not for you. So let's get to it. My conversation with Emily Jansen. What is going on, Emily? Welcome to Time to Sing Your Song. How are you doing today? Hey, Mike. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Obviously, we built a great relationship over the last year. I know you've got an incredible story where you jumped from corporate life to now doing your own thing, where I think you're going to share with everybody how you're really singing your song. But first, I want to give the listeners an opportunity for them to hear who you are. So would you mind introducing yourself? Sure, sure. So thanks again for having me. It's really great to chat with you today and I'm glad that we both live here in Austin, Texas. Um, for those listening, I'm Emily Jansen. I'm the author of A Wilder Eden, How to Keep Dreaming in a World of Disappointments. I now run my own business, the Emily Jacob Agency, which provides marketing and communication services to a diverse set of clients, which has been really fun. Um, I'm a triathlete. I'm a aunt to many young children. I have been in Austin, Texas for about two years, but formerly was in Washington, D.C. for a number of years and have lived abroad a couple times, which has been really fun in Kenya and Korea. So 
I am, I guess, a jet setter, but like to be grounded. So why the hell do you write your book? Like, that's a lot of work. What, tell us a bit about the book and, and what pushed you to actually write it. Yeah, I think if someone had told me how hard it was to write your own book and how long it would take, I, I'm not sure that I would have done it, but that's very typical me. I, I don't necessarily think like a systematic engineer. I get an idea in my head and I'm like, awesome, I'm going to write a book and I dive in. So yeah, over the last five years, I think I had just kind of reached a point in 2017, 2018, where I felt like I had a lot of things to say. I was writing to a BCC list of hundreds of people and just sending out, you know, monthly meditations and thoughts and sort of metaphors. And, and I just loved it. I loved having that platform. I loved writing every day. I was feeling really inspired by living in Korea in 2018. And I had all this writing that I needed to compile. Um, and I also felt like I had a message, which was, you know, your life is not a blank journal and you're dealt cards that influence your story, family history, decisions, um, regrets, you know, disappointments, unexpected interruptions. You have all these things in your life that you don't expect. That could be things like being single longer than you thought, um, professional disappointment, your business failing, divorce, uh, not being able to have a child. So I had all these friends who were walking through these very diverse disappointments. And I was like, I don't know if we all feel this way, but we should know how to keep dreaming in a world of disappointments. The world is disappointing. Um, so what does it really look like to not get stuck? And how do you move from the death of a dream into your present reality and then into future dreams? And how do you flourish in places where it feels like the desert and you're not sure how long you're going to be there? I love that. We're all dealing with a lot of shit, I always believe. It's funny. It's like when you peel back the onion, pretty much with anybody, uh, you always find something that they're dealing with. But you said something that was interesting, moving from the death of a dream to a new dream. What would you recommend somebody do to, to kind of move on from that? Because death of a dream is oftentimes very difficult to move on from, which probably is one of the reasons why people don't, and then they don't pursue new dreams. But what would be your advice? Yeah, I, I find it really interesting. Um, you know, I had a friend the other day uh, tell me that a family member had passed away. They're from a different culture in a different country. And it sort of shook me that in other cultures and countries, you spend significant time grieving, you know, the loss of a family member. You know, you're in mourning for a while. If you look at Queen Elizabeth's funeral service um, and sort of the long period of time that that the country has set up these markers and these milestones of like, let's take time to reflect on the loss of this person, <clears throat> the death of this really important figure. You realize that in America, I think there's this mentality of like, just pick up your bootstraps and keep going and let's sweep it under the rug and, you know, just buck up, be strong. Um, lean in and move forward. And I just don't think that that's actually healthy because if you don't acknowledge that you actually have had a dream die, it's very hard to heal and it's very hard to pivot because you're just sort of swallowing something that was really, really important to you. And so I would say the first part 
of acknowledging um, a disappointment or loss is to vocalize it and to really say, wow, like this feels like death to me. This, this is very, very disappointing to me. And I need to lament and grieve this. And it, and it's really not up to anyone else to tell me if my grief process is cyclical or linear. You know, it's not like you take three days off and suddenly you're ready to go. That totally makes sense. I mean, just recognizing the challenges that you've been through totally aligns with kind of the way I think. But, but how then do you move on to your new dream? Yeah, so I, I have written about this in my book where I think after you've lamented, after you've taken some time to really sit with yourself, I think that it's kind of coming back to this question that I have put in my book that I really love is, you know, what makes your soul sing? You know, what makes you feel like a kid on Christmas morning? What makes you feel the most connected to yourself and who you are and what you bring to the world? And moving on, I think is not saying like X, Y, or Z didn't happen. It's saying, okay, I wasn't expecting this and now I'm going to pivot and I'm going to remember who I am and I'm going to remember my identity and sort of my core, at my core, what I truly love and what I truly care about. And then sitting with that and, and being creative and saying, okay, what can I do? What can, what next step can I take? What do I have as a strength? What do I bring to the table? Um, and, and what is a dream that I have that I can still pursue, even if, you know, your business is not doing so well. I mean, we're in a recession, like everyone's, you know, talking about the economy this weekend and the market, you know, coming down. And I, I just continue to think that it's this mindset of resilience and also creativity, right? How do you pivot creatively? How do you trust your intuition? How do you trust your gut? And how do you invite your community into your dreams? Because I, I really believe this. Like, I just don't think it's possible to dream alone. I love that last comment, but I do have a question because I talk to a lot of people nowadays and their dream or coming up with their dream is not that challenging for them. Most people know really what they want to do or, you know, you could get to it pretty quickly when you're working with them. The challenge that I oftentimes find people have is I know I want to do this, but I don't know what to do or I'm afraid or Mm -hmm. I don't want to impact the security that I have. I mean, there's all these reasons Mm -hmm. that people let their dream die in them every single day based Mm -hmm. on the choices they're making. Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't deny that dreams are stubborn things and sometimes it takes years and years and years to see them come to fruition. And frankly, I, I don't think that we will, I don't know. I think sometimes in life you're, you're not going to see every dream come true. And that's the hard reality of living in, in this world is, is, you know, sometimes not every dream does come true, but I use this term and, and I think about this a lot, like the concept of micro dreaming. So you have this big dream, right? Like, okay, I want to write a book. What is like the one micro dream? What is the one step that you can take? What can you do? There's a great Eleanor Roosevelt quote that says, do what you can where you are with what you have right? It's like, what resources do you have at your fingertips? When you wake up tomorrow, what can you do? Maybe there's certain things you can't do, 
And, you know, I've been chatting with a couple of friends who are writing books right now and they're like, well, I just, <clears throat> I just don't know if I can finish the whole manuscript by the end of the year. And I'm like, you don't have to like write the next page, write the next chapter, write, write the next paragraph. What is it that we can do incrementally? And I think that that's probably why the book Atomic Habits is so popular right now, because it's kind of like flossing your teeth. It's, it's the repetition um, <clears throat> it's the, the going from strength to strength and going from little bit by little bit that I think really does go a long way. I think people also get so caught up in the outcome. I want to write a book. <clears throat> so it's pretty easy to get your mind around what that looks like in the end, the, the end product, if you will, you know, book is on the shelf book is, you know, out there in the digital world. So they focus on that and they don't realize that getting to that book is thousands or tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of specific little activities. And as a result of that, they don't even just get started on that first thing. And then the second thing and the third thing, people want people want to have the success or the result today. And I think your point in, in referencing Atomic Habits is a great one because it literally is a million things that you do ultimately to get to that point in time. And it really does take Discipline, something I heard today, I think actually uh, is a new concept that I started to think about, but is like almost obsessing that I need to do this. It's like, it's not that I just want to write this book. I'm obsessed to write this book because it is something that truly like my life, not physical life, but my life depends on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting thought. Just the sort of the obsess, the obsession of I mean, I think what you're getting at is this concept of urgency. Yeah. And a need, like there's a lot of things that I want to do that I didn't do, but when I set my mind to it and where it actually becomes core to who I am as an individual and, and, and literally I, I obsess, I think that probably word has a negative connotation. I think it's got a very negative connotation, but where it becomes, you know, the most important thing to me in my, in my life, I will get it done. Uh, so I think if you combine that with this whole idea of, you know, ultimately achieving a big goal is not necessarily, it literally is the cliche. It's not the destination. It truly is the journey, but the journey is made mm -hmm. up of millions of steps, uh, which mm -hmm. as a triathlete, I'm sure probably resonates with you. Yeah. It's so funny you mentioned that because I really do think it's not just, you know, it's not just a workout for me. It's, it's kind of this part of my life where you know, you're prepping to do, I did a half marathon, um, sorry, half Ironman in 2021 and signed up for it, got a coach. And I think this is why it's so hard to keep dreaming because we want to see, to your point, results. We are an impulsive um, people. I think our generation particularly, and I'm, I guess, bashing on my own generation, you know, I'm 36. I, I think I grew up in a culture and a mindset where it's like, I want it now. I want it quickly. And why is this taking so long? Um, <clears throat> and I think, unfortunately, that's produced in us an unwillingness to really sit with those micro, call them atomic habits, call them, um, you know, daily, uh, sort of the daily chiseling away of wherever you're going, right? We want to see the results so quickly. And, you know, as I was training for that half Ironman, it's, it's like seven months of mundane work. 
And my question is always like, how do you take the ordinary and make it extraordinary? How do you take the mundane and make it something much more impactful? I've learned that actually life is lived in the mundane. And that's where actually my fulfillment to a certain degree comes from. Oftentimes when I think about this big ultimate goal and how great I'm going to feel, I typically don't feel that great when I achieve it. Mm-hmm. When I when I reflect back on whatever I've done in life, it's not necessarily where I've gotten to, but it literally is the mundane activities. And mundane makes it sound boring, but it's not. It's just the things that I do over and over and over again. Totally. And I think you really thrive in that. Like you are a prime example of someone who makes the mundane really fun. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to keep that one in this interview. Um, I'm just teasing. You said something earlier that I thought was fascinating as well that I want you to expand on because I actually think it may help when we get into your story. I think it also may help a lot of people as they're beginning to think about how they can pursue their dream. And you talked about community, community really uh, helping you develop your dream. And quite frankly, I think they may be even more important in you executing your dream. But can you talk a bit more about why community is so important in dreaming and executing on your dream? I, I, this question is so important. I feel like I'm standing on, you know, this very like holy ground because community has been a huge lifeline to me this year. And I'll tell you why in a little while, but uh, oh my goodness. I mean, community is everything. Community, you know, there's that great African proverb that's like, you know, if you want to go, if you want to go a little while, go alone. If you want to go far, you know, take, basically take your community with you. And I totally botched that proverb, but whatever. Um, I think community to me this year is the reason that I've been able to go out on my own. And I always, always start with, um, Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream when he stood up in front of hundreds of thousands of people in the sixties and vocalized that and said, I have a dream. He was not saying it to himself. He was not saying it behind the walls of his own kitchen. He was vocalizing something that was not yet seen, not yet in fruition, but that he believed would come true. And he was inviting those, you know, hundreds of thousands of people into that dream. And the reason that that is so important to vocalize your dream is because you're actually sort of giving legs to something that doesn't yet exist. (laughs) And so... I just, I continue to believe that more often than not, we don't tell people what we really, really want to do or be because we're scared that we're going to fail. I had a friend the other day say to me, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to be a rock star. I've always wanted to learn the electric guitar. And it was almost like he, in that moment, he almost couldn't believe to his own sort of like disbelief that he had vocalized that. And he said, I've never told anyone that before. And I said, why haven't you told, why haven't you told anyone this? And he's like, well, I just don't, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I don't know if it's ever really going to happen. Right. And so that's a very simple example. That's not like, I want to be the ambassador of such and such country. I want to become the CMO. I want to become a C-suite leader. Maybe it's, it's more in the corporate world for whoever is listening But what have you actually done to invite someone into that dream? Have you spoken with your mentor? Have you spoken with someone that you respect that's five or 10 years ahead of you? Have you told your sort of core group of peers that you trust? Have you told your boss? I think it's really interesting 
that even in my own career, I've realized, why didn't I tell my boss that? Why didn't I tell my supervisor that I wanted to do, to do X? When I was working for um, a company several years ago, <clears throat> I said to them, you know, if the, if the opportunity ever presented itself for me to move to Korea to go serve the company um, at the Korean headquarters, you know, please let me know. I'd love to do it. And I had vocalized that. And it was kind of this like passing dream. And several months later, you know, that seed came back to me. And that seed came back to me in the form of, hey, we really need someone to go over there for six months and help this project. You mentioned you might like to do this. Would you like to go? Right. And so you just never know. It might not come to fruition right away. But as you invite others to dream with you, they can come alongside you to sort of test test your theory, test your dream, you know, help you not fail, fail with you, um, you know, provide resources and input and pro bono experience that you might not have. And in starting my own business, I had to get so many people's input. I, I was like, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? Can you help me figure out how to set up my business model? Can you help me figure out how I want to approach clients? Right? Like, there's so many steps in inviting community in. And I just think we all think that everyone else is so busy. We're like, well, I'm just not going to even ask because, you know, I don't want to bother this person. Well, what if that person's sitting there and what if you can provide input and ideas to that person in exchange? You just don't know. You know what? You, you've come up with two things that I really want to comment on. First of all, I am blown away by how many people have dreams that they keep inside themselves. And, and something as simple as, yo, boss, I'd like to go to South Korea is a very simple statement you needed to make. And if you weren't necessarily connected to that happening right away, you deposited an idea in their mind where they likely came back to you and said, it wasn't the time when you brought this up, but it is now. And maybe that never comes to fruition, but if you deposit that idea enough with people, it is likely going to happen. And so whenever I used to counsel people at my former organization, I'd say, listen, if you're interested in doing this, tell people, because right. if you tell them, they may not know now if there's right. an opportunity, but they may see something in the future. And the likelihood is they'll come back to you if that opportunity right. comes up. Right. Yeah, it's funny, right? It we overthink this so much. Ask. Asking you shall receive. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a I think what is the you know, my grandmother always used to say, what's the worst thing that could happen? You ask and and they say no. <laughs> you know, it's that's kind of like we're not used to a culture of no. We're not necessarily used to a culture of yes. We're sometimes we just sit in the middle and we're like, I don't know, maybe I'll do this. Maybe, you know, I'm getting my real estate license on the side right now. I'm like, I don't really know. I don't know if I can actually get this done. I don't know that much about finance and real estate, but I'm like, okay, what the heck? I'm going to ask someone that I know who's a real estate agent to help me study. And it, that's the thing is it's not, it's not, a, no one is expecting you to do it alone. Totally. So why, why are we doing it alone? Well, I think your point that you just made of just asking people is a great one. And and people are just so damn afraid. And, and the point that you made of like, what's the worst that can happen? I would, I used to use that all the time and I still do. And what's so damn funny about that is that 
the worst is actually pretty damn minimal in most circumstances. Like we're not saving lives in corporate America. And so what's mm-hmm. the worst? Somebody says no and your feelings are hurt. Like get over it. I, I do want to go back to your, your community point that you made as well, because this is something that I've learned since I've left my organization. I thought like my network was huge. And I think it was big, but it wasn't diverse. I don't mean diverse in terms of like race, religion, things of that nature. I mean, in terms of like, I spent a lot of time with a lot of people that looked and operated the same way, whether it was the colleagues I had at work or my clients, we all kind of thought and operated the same. And I think one of the things that I've begun to really value is to think about kind of an eclectic group of people that are within my community. And mm-hmm. it's actually exciting to meet all these different people as you're sharing, like you build this community share your dream with them and then you have them help you make it come to fruition is something that there's a lot of people with a lot of talented skills out there to -hmm. help you make that dream come alive. And I think that's a critical point. It's like, if you pursue your dream, don't do it on your own. I think that's the key point you're making. It's like, find those people that are great. I was going to say good, but freaking great at doing something and Mm -hmm. partner with them or ask for their help. And once again, what's the worst they could say? No. Okay, fine. Go ask somebody else. And it sounds like yeah. you've had a lot of success in, in getting help. Yeah, I have in learning from other people. And, you know, it's funny you talk about this eclectic group of, of people. In the last six months, I basically have really only been focused on relationships with other entrepreneurs. And through my business, um, I use subcontractors, freelancers. I bring other people into my projects and it's like a Swiss army knife. So we create projects for clients based on their tailored needs. And so I've been able to build out a freelance network of 20 plus people that I regularly talk to now. Right. And we all have different skill sets. We're all part of that Swiss army knife. And I don't, I don't like, they're not on salary with me. They're not, a, I don't employ them. But there's this incredible humility and hunger, and I would really just call it entrepreneurial equity. I've heard this term recently, and everyone has worked so hard to get where they are, and everyone has started from the bottom up. And as a result of that, there's just this incredible spirit and culture of gratitude and um, generosity in exchanging ideas. I don't feel... In the entrepreneurial world, I have not felt like there's this sense of competition that is as sort of curt and intense as corporate America. And I'm not entirely sure yet where those major distinctions lie, but I do know that in the entrepreneurial space, there is just this beautiful um, spirit of abundance. And, And rather than scarcity, there's just this wonderful kind of mindset of, you know, there's abundance, there's work for all of us, there's opportunity for all of us. Hey, I have this client, I can't do this project. Do you want this client, right? There's kind of this spirit of exchanging commodities as as if we were out on the Oregon Trail, and you're like all surviving together. Um, And people just exchange resources. And I've been so just blown away by how happy these people are, and how just, yeah, how, how happy we all are because we're just, we're there to support each other. And we know that honestly, we can't survive without each other. 
I love that term, and I'm joking, entrepreneurial equity, because it sounds like you're still in a consultancy. Like, I think we got to come up with a better name than that. Yeah, I know. I'm just too messing. Much, too much alliteration. Oh my god! But but no, but I think it's it's fascinating because what you would you what you would think is when you're going out external, you're competing with others versus maybe you know if you're in a corporation where you know you're supposed to be working together. And I think part of your story, and, and I'd love to get into kind of where you were and where you are now, and you've touched on it, but I think you, I saw the exact opposite, like a lot of competition within an organization and more mm -hmm. collaboration and partnership outside. But maybe if you could just go back to where you were before this, you know, great job, great business that you now run, mm -hmm. where were you before and, and what pushed you to kind of jump into this new world? Yeah. So, you know, my story began in, in DC. I was working in the diplomatic foreign embassy space with an organization that was sort of an arm of the State Department. And then one of my clients was a major corporation and they sort of poached me. And I had, you know, five wonderful years with them. And when I left that job for the last organization that I worked for, it was really because I had hit a glass ceiling, right? I had hit sort of this point where I couldn't really, there, there was no upward mobility. Um, I was told that there weren't enough promotions to hand around within that department. Um, I really felt like I had put in my time and effort. So I switched to another organization and <clears throat> was there for two years. And during that time, um, about two weeks after I started that job, COVID hit. And so immediately there was sort of, again, this mindset of, of scarcity, self-protection, who's going to lose their job first in last out, you know, am I, am I going to get cut out of the cut off to the curb right away? Um, and I wasn't, and, and I really loved, um, the people I worked with and the projects that I was on, but it was really hard because we were all on zoom, um, behind our screens. I never really got to meet hardly any of my colleagues and, you know, and then about, um, I guess seven months ago, early start to 2022, I got a call saying that there had been a reorg um, and that a handful of us, um, our roles were being cut out of this organization, of this part of the, the company, um, and that I had 30 days to kind of look inside the company um, or, you know, handshake agreement and leave. So, um, <clears throat> you know, this was not my plan. <laughs> I had sort of set the intention of the word abundance over my 2022, you know, 2022. And then I, three days later, I lost my job. Um, it's a little and, ironic. Yeah. Ironic, uh, fortuitous. I don't know what you'd call it. I cried. I laughed. Uh, I took a walk and sort of thought, okay, this is really, really strange. But I will say when it happened, I instinctively knew that it was happening for a reason. And call it the universe, call it God, not sure what people believe they're listening, but, you know, call it what it was. I felt such a sense of calling to listen and to pay attention and to be very intentional about what was happening. And I think part of it was because in both of my um, past couple of corporate, corporate America experiences, I kind of came back to this point of, um, I'm frustrated. I'm stuck here. I feel like I'm swimming upstream. Um, I don't know what the corporate ladder actually means. 
Why can't I seem to climb it? It's not working for me. And everything that I had been told, like, go get your master's, you know, take leadership courses, <laughs> you know, build teams, be a team player, um, take your personality test. I had done all of it and it didn't work. Right. And so I'm sitting there thinking I've failed. I've failed again. What have I done? Is this personal? Is this not? Is like, what does this actually mean? Emily, and, why in the moment, I, I hate to cut you yeah, off, but why no. in the moment did you feel like you failed? Because I felt, I felt like I wasn't able to be myself. And I mm. also felt like people didn't recognize me for who I really was and didn't take the time to really appreciate and sit down and say, let's really explore this. Let's explore that you're a generalist let, and not a specialist. Let's explore that you seem to be a really creative out of the box thinker. Let's explore that you think outside the lines. Let's explore that you are someone who um, seems to be a jack of all trades who has like 20 Google tabs open in your head all the time, right? Like I was somebody that was a multitasker. I could run circles in terms of <clears throat> doing multiple things at one time. I was an executor. Right. But it was that that failure was. I have not been promoted again. But you said you failed because the promotion is an outcome. But I'm right. curious now that you're talking about everything that people didn't see you see in you. Is there something and once again, I may be kind of drilling down too hard on this failure concept, but is there something that in retrospect because not everybody can leave their company or maybe not everybody's got the confidence or is put in a situation like you are, what would you have done differently? You know, I think that it, some of this is a little coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? Like you have to, sure. some of it I think was external factors that I couldn't control. It was COVID. Right. I didn't really know any of my colleagues. <clears throat> Um, I will say as someone who probably would err on the side of, of people pleasing rather than saying no, I think what could I have done? I think I probably could have recognized earlier that it, I love this con okay, so this word is very important word to this, this whole answer resistance. Okay. Sometimes when you resist something so, in, you know, intentionally and you're resisting and you're pushing against the system and you're pushing up the hill and you're trying to, you're like a salmon swimming upstream and you're just resisting. They say that quote, you know, it's the path of, of least resistance. Well, you can kind of look at that both ways, right? Like, no, sometimes success is not always the path of least resistance, but when you're resisting so much that you're just internally, you know, in turmoil, then and, and sort of frustration and everything feels hard. It's kind of your own responsibility to raise your hand and say something's not working. And I think that I probably could have recognized that sooner. I also think that <clears throat> when you look at sort of how our system of, of getting a job and succeeding in a role in an organization is set up. It's, it's kind of built on this framework of <clears throat> competition, 
capitalism, um, you know, get your skin in the game, survival of the fittest. And again, coming back to this mindset of abundance versus scarcity, I felt a lot of scarcity. I felt like, well, I have to try harder. I have to push more. I have to do more. I have to go out of my way to prove that I'm a good employee and that I'm, you know, incredibly whatever talented in marketing, right? Because I felt this sense of scarcity. I felt this sense of there's not enough to go around and I have to prove myself. Maybe the answer is not trying harder to prove yourself. Maybe the theory is, you know what? I am really good at what I do. Right. I do, I do have a lot to offer. And it's okay if this organization doesn't need or want what I have to offer. And guess what? Maybe there's abundance somewhere else. Maybe there's abundance on the other side of the fence. Maybe I don't need to push and resist and try so hard to prove that I'm worthy of being at this table. I think there's a couple of things. First of all, the rub is organizations do need people that are pushing and taking risks and doing things that are different and aren't just doing exactly what they're told. And I remember I used to always think, give me a person that may not even be the expert in this area, but will be thoughtful and they'll do whatever they can to come up with unique ideas or solutions. And while I may not like the answer that they provided, I much would rather have somebody that is trying to push the agenda than just kind of going along for the ride. And I think, quite frankly, in a lot of organizations, that is is the challenge. It's like people don't want to put their neck out because they don't want to get hit because right. they're worried about their job. And as a result, they play it too safe. And your story is, is actually 180 degrees difference where it sounds like you did put your neck out um, and it ultimately didn't work, but you did say but that may be okay because maybe this organization doesn't fit with what I'm bringing to the table. Right. And I distinctly remember, I, I remember being on Instagram feeling so, you know, I was probably feeling sorry for myself. This is, you know, 30 days or so after I lost my job. And I remember scrolling through Instagram and I came across this image that just said, um, wouldn't it be so nice to make money for being who I am or or something to this effect. Something like, why don't you just, what if if you could sell based on who you are? And it really, really made me stop for a second because I think we're so ingrained into this paycheck mentality. Well, I just need to, I, you know, and look, I want to be very mindful in this conversation of anyone listening who is a single parent who does need to bring in the bacon, who does need a steady paycheck, whose life and responsibilities and time in the day is limited. And I never, ever want to be disrespectful to anyone who, 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 you know, is just so thrilled to have, you know, the healthcare support. Maybe there's people with disabilities or limitate physical limitations that just really like love their organizations. And, and I have wonderful friends in so many incredible fortune 100s. Um, but the point is that what if for some of us, the way that we are made, the way that we are wired is really intended to have a greater impact as an entrepreneur or in an organization where you can sort of have this wide field, um, you know, call it the wild, wild west, right? Like 
maybe you need to be in the wild west maybe you don't need to be in right. the town that's established i would first of all i have a lot of empathy as you do for people that are listening to this and they're saying listen i'm living paycheck to paycheck i don't even have a few minutes in my day working my ass off yes right. i'm miserable in my job but listen <laughs> it's, i got to do what i got to do right. the one thing i would say is i would go back to what we talked about at the outset and if you do have a dream don't let that dream die just because of your current circumstances. And I think the thing that people don't take into consideration and they don't factor into all of this is time. Mm -hmm. Like it may not, and it will not for many people happen overnight. That's why I don't buy into this fallacy of like, oh, you know, you just need to go chase your purpose, leave your job because a lot of people do have obligations that, you know, right. the, the implications of them doing that would be severe. Right. But that doesn't mean you could do the little things like the little things mm -hmm. like on that little plan that you put together where you're like in three to five years, this is where I want to be in the next, you know, three months. Mm -hmm. I just need to start to grow my network or I need mm -hmm. to do a little research or I need to do a little I hate the word side hustle because mm -hmm. it always sounds like, oh, you do a side hustle and you'll be successful. But mm -hmm. like, just try it out. And once again, what's the worst that can happen? And I think if you start just to lay that foundation as you start to move along, you'll have that opportunity maybe to do something that you cannot do today, but mm -hmm. you can do in a year from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can I, I want to go back to something you said at the outset when you talked about your first job uh, out, of, out of college and you talked about the fact that somebody, and once again, organizations don't matter because these are just general concepts, right? But somebody said, Hey, listen, we can't promote you because we just don't have enough positions, which I think if we had to die for every time somebody said that we'd be rich. I mean, it happens a lot <laughs> and it doesn't matter what organization. The question I have for you is, is how did you feel in that moment when they told you that? I, I mean, it, it just, it sort of honestly felt ridiculous. Like, okay, so how, like, why is my why is my performance and, and essentially the, <laughs> the reward of my performance, how, how is that being thrown into this bucket of there's not enough to go around, right? I mean, this it goes is back exactly, to the scarcity. Yeah. Right. Like that is not, I, I think obviously with the recession coming, you have to be careful because you know, organizations have to make cuts, right? Like sometimes there is a cost of doing business, but this was not a situation where it was like, Hey, there's, you know, we're really hit hard. The business is not doing well. No one's getting a promotion. It was distinctly within this department. We can only give out to whatever it was. I don't remember what it was. A couple of promotions from manager to senior manager. And I remember thinking, okay, cool. There's a couple, you know, whatever, there's a few spots and, and then being told, well, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, they've been here one year more than you or two years more than you. So they're going to get promoted first. Right. So it just, I think it just struck me as really odd. Like, is this, is this the, is this what's going to build trust and encourage hard work um, within an organization where it's sort of a take your number and get in line mentality. 
right? Like, right. because what happens if you get in line and you have your number and you get to the front of the line and there's no food left? <laughs> like, it Which happens. Of, right. And it kind of made me realize, you know, the math. Now, I'm not saying this is how it is in every company, because I don't think it is. But I think in some companies, there's this, there's this really interesting math that doesn't really add up. And so I started to really think around that time. And even over the last couple of years, like what, what the, all of these deposits, all of these deposits, right? We make deposits every day into relationships, into time, into our bodies, into our mental health. We're, we're putting deposits into these bank accounts in our lives. And I was depositing into these corporate America brands. And there comes a point where you wonder what would happen if I started depositing all this energy and time and effort and talent into my own brand, right? At what point are you going to spend the rest of your life promoting someone else's brand? Now, that's not what everyone is called to. And that's certainly not, I'm not saying that in an egotistical way. It's not about me. My, my agency is not about me, actually. It's about supporting and serving other clients, right? But in a way, you start to wonder, well, what am I investing in? Am I investing in my own brand? Am I investing in this other brand for the next 20 years? Um, and why is this the math? Like, why is this the formula for how to get a promotion? The one thing I don't want to do is let off those managers, leaders that take the easy way out. Like, well, we just don't have, you know, a position in our budget or, you know, you haven't been around long enough. Those are, those are cop out answers, to be honest with you. And, and I think in many respects, this comes down to effective communication, a little empathy. I've been in a position a lot of times where it's like, we don't have that role right now, but I think once again, going back to those bullshit answers is not a good way of communicating with your people. I mean, at the end of the day, if the goal and objective is for your people to be fully engaged and fully productive, if you make them feel like shit, and I think that's kind of right. what happened in your circumstance, like I feel like shit, I don't feel like you value me. So what's going right. to happen to your performance? And and I would argue, Emily, there's a different way that you mm -hmm. can deliver that hard news. And it could be something like, listen, this is the way it is. And I'm not happy with that. I totally understand your frustration. Now let's talk about how we can create opportunities for you so that when that opportunity does come down the road, and maybe it's not even that opportunity, maybe it's something else, but like getting into it with them and helping them figure out how they can find meeting and do work that they really enjoy at that organization versus just keep going back to that cop-out answer. And the other thing is, and this actually is, I know I'm getting on my high horse, but I'll just one last thing I want to say is what really pisses me off is when people just aren't uh, transparent, when they use a bullshit reason and they don't say why, you know, maybe that right. individual's not getting a promotion. Like, listen, right. you don't have the capabilities necessary to move on up. Right. Like you're doing a person a disservice if you're not telling them because A, they can't work on it. That's not good. Right. And then B, maybe it is an opportunity or a time for them to go find something else. And so now you're going to string that person along for another year or two. Right. right. That's not a good outcome. So to me, like if there's leaders or managers listening, like this is not rocket science, like have a bit of empathy and engage with your people 
in an open and honest way. Yeah. And remember that you were once there, right? Totally. I always say this, the truth hurts, but the truth will set you free, right? Like I would say 99% of us that are in our mid career realm, right? Like mid thirties into early forties, maybe we're not the VP yet. You know, maybe we're leaning in and got the director position, but we're still sort of navigating those complexities, whatever it is, right? It's not about titles. It's, it's having this mindset of trust. Hey, I, I so want to be a great employee here and a great ally to you as a boss that I really, really want you to just tell me the hard truth. And you could say it in a gracious way, right? And I think I've had wonderful managers in the past that have really sat with me and said, Emily, you know, this is one area where you just really need to grow and you really need to keep your North Star and you really need to be thinking about this, right? And they gave me the opportunity to work on it and change. I've also had managers who, to your point, were not very transparent and created just this site, this, this sort of culture and vibe of doubt and mistrust, right? And again, most of us would say we'd rather, you know, we'd rather have sort of our, our honest heart to heart, sit down and just have someone tell us the, the, the truth than to be, to be lied to, or to just be dismissed. And you're, you know, in the dark for six months, not knowing that your performance and your behavior is unacceptable or is, you know, has some cracks in the wall. No one wants to be told months later, well, I'm so sorry, but, um, you know, you failed because of this and, and no one had ever told you or given you a warning sign of, of how you needed to grow. So I just think that the truth, right, builds and breeds trust on both sides. And as people build trust, then they can actually ally. Totally. I remember back early in my career, when somebody gave me feedback, I was like, oh my God, I suck. They're proving everything <laughs> I knew about myself. Like I am no good. And one of the things that I think I've now figured out you know, now being in the corporate world for 30 years, it's like everybody has development areas. And even to this day, when people give me feedback, it's like, mm, I don't know if I want to hear it. And there was this one person I used to work with that I remember, she was probably 20, maybe 15, 18 years, my junior. And I remember whenever I'd give her feedback, she literally took it like a gift. I've never seen anybody in her position to say, oh my God, thank you so much. I'm mm -hmm. going to action on this. And she taught me that actually, mm -hmm. if you listen and you take that feedback, you can do better. And even to this day, like in my new world, there are opportunities where I get a lot of feedback and I keep going back to kind of living the way she does in terms of taking that feedback. So the reason why I raise this is, you know, I was kind of um, lamenting the leaders or the managers, but if you are somebody that's at kind of the staff or you're, you're new in your organization, if you wear the badge of taking better feed or taking feedback better than anybody, you are going to be a rock star because everybody, especially when you first start out in your career, is going to get feedback. And if you demonstrate that you've got the intelligence, you've got the maturity, the EQ, whatever you want to say that you can take it and action on it, mm -hmm. you're going to outperform 99% of people. Yep. Yep. Because you're, 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 I mean, it's humility, right? Totally. Well, and it's also growth. Like Jesus, Pete, like I'm learning new things every day. And so if I, if I believe that I knew everything 
you know, even, even learning stuff from people that once again, are, you know, maybe 25 years old. I'm, I love it. It's, it's like, I don't, I don't even know anything, you know, compared to everything that there is to know. And so I think if you have that yeah. mindset of like really absorbing feedback, you know, that's a mm-hmm. good, good trait to have. So let me, let me go back to you're in corporate life for a long time and you've kind of started to bring this whole notion up. Like when I was in corporate life, it felt like a scarcity mentality. And now that you're in your solo practitioner or you're running your organization, working with all these different entrepreneurs and you have this vast network, it feels more like abundance. I've never quite frankly, in the context of this realm, corporate versus kind of more entrepreneurial on your own. I've never really heard that concept. Um, so you are going back to the previous concept or point that I was making. You're teaching me something, which I love, which I think is fascinating. So maybe can you can you spend a bit more on that? Why oftentimes corporate entities foster the scarcity mindset and maybe even if there's a reflection or two on what they can do and then we could pivot to the abundance mentality. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not an HR professional, so <laughs> take this all with a grain of salt, right? Um, I think that sometimes this scarcity mindset comes from external forces, external circumstances. Um, sometimes it's just literally a product of the company culture of, um, you know, I hate to say it, but some company cultures are kind of dog eat dog. Um, we talk about inclusion, we talk about purpose, we talk about equity and, you know, where does the rubber meet the road on all of that? Because I think it's one thing, again, if a, if a company is failing and, you know, whatever, the revenue is really, really off for the year and whatever, the economy crashes. And it, it sometimes I just think companies have a scarcity mindset because it, quite simply, the company is failing, right? And that is what it is. It's not particularly personal. But in the context of large, highly matrixed organizations with multiple departments, multiple functions, multiple roles, maybe even at times more roles in different job functions than they really need, I think it it sort of it creates this culture where you sort of sit and operate in your tiny little world and you're a minnow inside a really, really big pond and you just don't feel seen and you don't feel valued and appreciated in a way that's like if Joe or Sally or Bob or Sue left tomorrow, would they really be missed? Would they be remembered? Would they really be valued? Right. And so I think when we think about every single individual having purpose, having um, value and worth and dignity because they're made in the image of God, they're made as a unique individual, we wouldn't, we wouldn't treat them um, as just kind of an, a commodity. And so I think what organizations can do is one, really recognize the unique individual, recognize them applaud them, celebrate them, laugh with them. Hey, you, you are so good at X, Y, and Z, and you are terrible at X, Y, and Z. You know, how can we help you? Like, are you a generalist? Are you a specialist? You know, what, what kind of context do you best thrive in? 
Um, are you really good at leading people? Are you really bad at leading people, right? It, you sort of have to just sit with someone and laugh with them and bring them along and say, hey, like we recognize the unique person that you are and you're doing great in this department or maybe you're not. Like, let's figure out a plan for you. And then secondly, I think, you know, we talked about this the other day, like encouraging risks within reason. I think it's similar to sort of a dog on a short leash or a dog on a long leash or a dog in a field. Like people need space and breathing room to make their own mistakes. And sometimes within reason, those risks should be encouraged because I think that there's no better way to learn a life lesson than to make your own mistake. And it's so funny. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to, I am going to interrupt this time because you say so much good shit that I'm like, I'm writing down. I'm like, I have all these questions and and the challenge is if I get so far away from them, I I can't ask them. So let, let me just make a couple comments on some questions and then we'll keep going. You said something at the outset. I don't know if you remember what you said is that people need to feel seen. And I think oftentimes we convolute like purpose with this grand old thing, like, oh, I need to go chase that thing that just feels unobtainable. But you've also boiled it down to something that I think is is very, it's a human need. It's like, mm-hmm. I matter. Like you use words like dignity, value. Like these are things that every single people, every single person that I know in this world has those needs. And I think yeah. what you're saying is in in many respects, people don't feel like that, especially you could argue now in the COVID post COVID age, they don't feel, they don't feel like they're seen anymore. No, who, who feels seen on zoom, right? I mean, this is fundamentally why I'm a believer of going back to the office because I think that when a company says, Oh, it's not personal, it's just business. Excuse my French, but that's bullshit. It is personal. It's always personal. Right. It's always personal. It's your life. It's yep. your re- reputation. It's the way you carry yourself into your next job. It's going to come up in your interview questions in the next job interview. Right. And it is personal. And so I just think that as, an, as a culture, as a country, as a people, we need to be thinking, no, every human being wants to be seen. What is the greatest desire of man to be fully loved? and fully loved unconditionally for who they are with all their flaws. And I, and I just really believe this because I think that the more, and I say this to girls that I mentor, I say, you know what? I fully love, I fully love you for who you are. And I'm excited to help you become more of who you are, right? Because that's what everyone wants. They want to become more of who they are and, and to be pivoted and chiseled into someone better. And so, yeah, I do think it's about being seen. I don't think it's about filling out a performance evaluation. I don't always think that it's about some sort of internal review process that rates you based on a survey or puts you in a box or puts you in a position where you can't really talk about how you think you achieved um, your goals, right? So it's hard, right? Because we have to use metrics and measurement and I'm a full fan. I mean, I'm a marketing expert, right? Like I'm all yep. about statistics and metrics and ROI. We need numbers. We need levels and, and measures, but, but people can't always be measured. Right. And I think the thing that is important is 
at least what I'm not saying, I don't think you're saying this, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, generally speaking, have big expectations of the people we hire. Like you could still treat somebody with dignity and as a human and still have expectations, still have those conversations that we were talking about before where you provide them feedback or where you ultimately may conclude that this isn't the organization for them. But I think ultimately what happens is people make it so confrontational, like Mm -hmm. you're not doing a good job, which is a position Mm -hmm. nobody wants to be in. But, but when it becomes a confrontation versus let's sit down and talk about whether or not this is the right opportunity or role for you, or what can we do to really help you Mm -hmm. so that you're treating them like a human? Yeah. And sometimes being human is the hard truth. And it does mean like, I, I'm not perfect. I need accountability. I need people to tell me, Hey, you're not being a team player right now, right? Whatever it is, like I need to own my mistakes and I'm working through that with my own counselor. But, but yeah, sort of the grace, the grace of helping people move through their weaknesses is saying, Hey, like this is affecting other people. We really need you to grow in this way. And we're so proud of you. And we're so excited because you're doing X, Y, and Z really well, right? Grace always, I think, acknowledges like, the downer part, right? The roses right. and thorns. It's like, here's your thorn, but also here's your rose. One other uh, comment that I want to make, and, and I'm going to take us back to kind of what you did post-corporate world, because I think a lot of times people are scared about you know, what you can do to be successful. So I do want to ask you a few questions on that. But, but one of the things I just want to close this out with is just a comment on big HR programs. And oftentimes, you know, when you say, oh, well, we need to treat our people like humans and we need to engage with them more. And maybe this is a comment for HR and I'm not an HR person as well. So take this with a grain of salt. But, but the notion that all of these things can be solved with great HR programs I don't think works because I've seen a lot of them come and go. And I feel like sometimes they feel heavy and bureaucratic and then just die under their own weight. And, and to me, what matters more than anything, like exponentially more, is having the right managers and leaders and even staff in an organization, basically getting down to having the right culture and investing in it. Because if you have a leader or a manager that Uh truly believes in developing and helping people, it doesn't matter what stupid HR program is out there because they're going to do it irrespective of what the organization says. And I think also what that means is if you see a leader that has exhibited bad behavior, which we all see it every single day, you don't continue to promote them because then that sends a sign to everybody in the organization that, oh, I don't value or we don't value treating people once again with, with dignity. So that that's, I know I'm kind of on my high horse today, but I think that's critical because sometimes I think we over index on big HR programs and we don't spend enough time making sure that we've got the right people in the organization, living the values of the organization that have been outlined. So Emily, going into business for yourself was not part of the grand plan, at least when it happened. But obviously, I think when you said it did happen, you're like, oof, I feel like this is actually happening for the right reasons. Now, there are hopefully a lot of people out there listening to this. But for those that are that are thinking about, I totally want to do something on my own, A, or maybe they're in a position where they're finding themselves stuck or they lost their job or they're needing to do something fairly quickly. Can you just talk about what you did in the days and weeks after so that you started to set the foundation for what you're doing today? Yeah, I, 
So I just have to laugh. I I was so resistant to starting my own business. I I didn't want to do it. I did I didn't want to do it. I um <laughs> you Why know not? it I just I was scared. I was scared. Is anyone gonna work with me? Do I really have what it takes? Do I really have the skill sets? Right. And so many friends just kept saying to me, like, trust your gut, trust your gut. And, you know, to be honest, it sort of happened organically because I had been looking for full-time jobs um, for most of the spring. I took some time off, kind of sabbatical to launch my book and was applying, applying, applying and kept getting runner up. And it was so interesting because every time I asked for feedback, it was not like a, hey, you got runner up because uh, you just weren't good enough. It was, you got runner up because like, you're like, you can do all of these other things. And we don't know if you're the right fit for this role. Cause we like, we don't want to pigeonhole you. Um, and I got a couple of job offers and it's so funny because for the first time in my life, I, I don't think I've ever turned down, uh, I don't think I've ever turned down job offers. And so mm. I found myself sort of like, why am I turning this down? This is a really good offer. And I just, something in me was like, no, this isn't it. And so around June, um, someone approached me and said, Hey, you know, what are you doing right now? We, um, we know that you're sort of in between jobs and we really need you to help us with this messaging project for our, our organization. And then before I knew it, I was working with them on this great workshop. And then another client came across the plate and, they needed help with all of their client onboarding communications and their website copy. And then, you know, a family member called and said, I need help with my interior design business and I need to rebrand my website. And so, you know, before I knew it, it was July and I had like five or six clients. And to be honest, I didn't even really look at the numbers because I was just so glad to be making some money Mm, and getting my head back into it. And I really had just only put out maybe a couple email feelers and text messages. I put in a few calls to some mentors and people that I've worked with across um, the years and in different organizations and just said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing some consulting on the side. Do you have anything for me? And I didn't really market it. And then, you know, I kind of took a breath in August before I went on a big trip to Kenya and I, I, I crunched the numbers and I was like, I I called my dad. I was like, dad, my business is profitable. (laughs) (laughs) And it was this really sweet moment because, you know, as an entrepreneur who you're asking for help and you're sort of trying not to be overly pushy with people, but you're also putting yourself out there and, you know, sending out your list of services and sort of hoping that something catches, um, you know, it's really kind of intimidating because you don't, you don't know who's going to say yes. And again, in the spirit of generosity, I had another friend who brought me into a project this fall that is just a wonderful opportunity. That's, um, just really robust and generous and, um, pays well. And, and, you know, in the spirit of generosity, you know, he kind of gave me this project that he Mm. very easily could have taken for himself and, you know, I, I really, I really felt humbled in that moment because I thought, gosh, like 
this is a really lucrative project and this person's just handing me um, this great opportunity so that I can get my business going. And so I'm trying to pay that forward now because I feel like, you know, that's what business is. Business is people, business is relationships and business is trust. And so, you know, why not pay it forward? I'm going to ask you a very crass question and you can be like, Mike, I'm not answering that, which is totally cool with me. But once again, I always think about people that are listening where they're like, Oh, that's Emily's life. Like, look at how easy it was for her. She just, you know, was trying to find a new job. She said no to a couple and then she picks up all of these projects. Um, so I've got a couple of questions. The first one is just, can you talk about income. I don't want to know how much you make by any means, but when you think about where you've been over the last six months and the projects you've gotten, and then when you think about where you're going, what's your sense as to when you will be even, and maybe you are already even with what you were making before. And the reason why I ask is because it oftentimes does, does come down to dollars and cents. Like, can I replace my income if I were to go do something on my own? Yeah. No, I mean, look, for anyone listening, this is not like, a honeymoon, right? Like this is, it's not been easy. Um, obviously there's cash flow projections, there's navigating like, uh, when am I going to get paid? Right. right. Like monthly retainers over hourly. I will say, I want to, I want to comment on two things that I think is really important for anyone listening. Number one, do not undersell your hourly rate. Okay. So if you are an entrepreneur out there and you're like, I'm going to do part-time consulting for X, Y, or Z organization or whatever. I, when I first quoted my hourly rate, um, I totally undersold myself. This is a psychology thing. Apparently when you have an hourly rate that, or maybe even say like, Oh, but you're a free family or friend. So I'm going to give you a discount. That doesn't work. Right. Like know your worth. And, and so between June and September, my hourly rate has gone up by, oh, like $50, right? Mm. And so, because when I started to really say the number that I felt like I was worth, people didn't blink an eye. And I think that's so important because you don't have to put yourself down. You don't have to say, well, I don't really think I'm worth that much. No, like, how much do you think you're worth? And what does it look like for you to get your bills paid with inflation? Like, I don't need to apologize for that. I'm a single woman. I have a single income. I rent a house, right? Like there's, there's expenses that I have that I, I'm, I don't have the luxury of having a two person in, you know, two family income. Um, now that being said, no, I have not made the amount that I was making last year. I've made about half. Okay. But, but given the fact that you're only six months into this, that you must have the confidence. And once again, I don't want to paint a rosy picture that life is great, but you must have the confidence that if you continue to do the things that you're doing, you will get back to where you were at and you'll exceed it at some point in time soon. I, I'm not saying this in an arrogant way. I'm saying this a way of, of like just self-motivation of where I want to be in between June, July, August, and September, I've made about half of what I was making. Therefore, projections would show that I will surpass what I was making by next summer if if I continue in this. Now, look, 
I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch. Being an entrepreneur means recognizing you might lose clients. You might gain clients. You might have a super lucrative project, you know? And look, I, I take projects for under $500. Sometimes a client calls me and says, hey, I just need you to like update this one thing. Can you do this for $100, a couple hundred dollars? There's no shame in that. I don't have right. any, uh, I, I'm not too proud. You know that song, Ain't, Ain't Too Proud to Beg? Like, I'm not so proud that I'm unwilling to take on those projects. But obviously, as you start the road of starting your own business, you realize, okay, client having clients comes with trust and trust is built and then more consistent income follows because, you know, you're put on monthly retainer or whatever it is. So look, like we talked about, the worst thing that could happen is I fail the business fails, you know, like I don't make it, I get a full-time job again, but I don't like to live with regrets. And I really, as, as so many applications that I applied for came back with no, 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 no. I kept getting yes, 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 yes. I think that's an important point because I think oftentimes feel like people feel like they need to go back to that safety net of corporate life. Oh my right. gosh, there's no way I would able to be able to get this type of job before that I had before. And I think what you're saying is, yeah, it was hard, but I ultimately started to get offers. I said no to them because I think you probably knew something else was there, which I want to come to in a second. But if, if this fails, like go out and find another job, like there's plenty of jobs out there right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, life, life is a risk life is risky. Um, but you know, I'm a dreamer and dreamers get these ideas in their head and you start to ask what if, what, if, you know, why, why it's not, the question is not why me. The question is, well, why not me? I think that's a really important point because I think oftentimes people think of risk in terms of if something happened to me because of this decision I made, one right. of the things that I've started to focus on, and quite frankly, the reason why I am where I am now is I started to ask myself the risk if I did nothing. And that scared the hell out of me because then I was like, oh my God, I could get to the point where I'm like 60, 62. And I could look back and say, if I did nothing or because I did nothing, I wasn't able to experience all of these things I otherwise could. And for me, that is even scarier than potentially the risk of, of doing what I did. Let's talk about what your life looks like now. Like maybe if you could just comment quickly on like, what does a day in Emily's life look like now? Well, I'm a big fan of atomic habits. So, uh, you know, I, I typically work out in the morning early. Um, sometimes I journal, um, have my coffee, get ready for the day. And um, right now I have about... Right now, I have like a rotation of about eight or 10 clients. Some are like much smaller projects. Some are sort of a steady drumbeat of um, longer three to five month projects. So, uh, you know, I get into my inbox. I, I've become a master uh, mind of the uh, software called Asana. So hmm. here's my uh, product placement for yeah. Asana, Asana project management um, and Cal Calendly or Calendly, however you want to say it. Um, yeah, I've set up all of my business tools and, um, Asana is a project management tool that I love and it helps kind of keep me on track with deadlines. And, 
Um, I schedule out all my own client calls. I would say the biggest transition for me has been um, right now I'm a one man team. And so I spend about 60% of my time actually on client projects, um, 20 to 30% right now in business development and just conversations and coffees. Um, and then I still do, you know, work about whatever, 10 to 20% on my book. So I'm still doing, um, you know, content and podcasts like these and other events for promotion of my book. And I actually have been recording my podcast um, slash audiobook. So my audiobook should be coming out. If anyone's listening, it will be available on Audible um, in about three weeks. And so what would that would put it like mid October ish? Yeah, it will come out about mid October, late October. And it'll be available hopefully on Audible first and then Spotify. Um, I have a lot of business resources and, and book resources on my website, emilyjjansen.com. Um, and you know, it's, it's really fun. I, I, I love that in this new life of mine, I get to kind of, if I want to take a walk while I'm talking to a client, I can do that. I can meet up with them. I can work from home. I can work from Colorado like I did last week. So it's the flexibility is certainly a blessing. Yeah. The thing I love more than anything. So if anybody is considering doing something on their own, although I'm at a very different point in my life, but every single thing that I do is my choosing. And I can't tell you how much joy there is in knowing every single day I'm doing things that fulfill me and that I want to do. And that is like the greatest gift of freedom that, that I ever had. It is like, a cur- it's a currency oh in God. itself. Oh my God. It's, it's worth more than money for me right now. I want to just go back, not even really go back. This is one of the final questions that I have, but I want to kind of keep this real because it's always easy. And and I always say this to people, if you ask for my advice, like totally take it with a grain of salt because I'm out on the other end or I've experienced something positive. So it's really easy for me to share my perspective. It's super hard when you're on the other side trying to mm-hmm. figure out where you want to get to. So mm-hmm. I totally think about that all the time. And and anybody that's listening, once again, you know, we're just shooting the shit and we're just sharing thoughts and ideas. And if there's something that sticks, great. There you go. My series, my Siri on my, uh, my Apple watch does not know how to respond to that. But, um, so the question I have for you is if you are somebody, or if there is somebody out there that either a is miserable in their job and want to do something different and doing something different doesn't necessarily mean like starting your own business, or if you're somebody that recently lost your job. And I think those two things are becoming more prevalent. Like look at the surveys, most people aren't engaged. I think I saw some crazy number. I'm not even going to drop it because I'll probably screw it up, but like more than two thirds of people are just not engaged at work right now. And then obviously, um, and who knows if we're in a recession or not, people could debate that, but obviously things are slowing down. Inflation's high. So there's probably going to be more job losses. More people are going to be in a position where they're going to lose their job. So what advice would you have for them? Like, what are the things that you would suggest? Maybe just keep it like impactful and simple. What would you tell them? So to be really succinct, I would say, and I'm kind of putting this together on the spot. I would tell them, number one, 
how are you, I would ask, this is the, this is a, you know what, this is my answer. Very powerful question. I'm going to give full credit to my sister. My sister always says, how, how do you feel about this in the next five minutes? How are you going to feel about this in the next five weeks? How are you going to feel about this in the next five months? And are you going to remember this in, in five years? And maybe that's more for the person who has lost their job. But when I look back on that trajectory, the point is in the short term, it's painful. In the short term, it's really scary. In the short term, it just sucks and it feels shitty. But how are you going to feel about this in five years? Right? Where will you be in five years? And the, the point is not, no, go sit down and write a five-year plan, map right. it all out, and, you know, you know, create some, you know, crazy PowerPoint about how you're going to start your own business and smoothie company. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying take the long view, both for whatever death of dream you're experiencing and for the dream that you want to see come to fruition. Because it's, to your point, it's going to take time. Now, practically, I would also go back to this whole concept of vocalizing your dream. Vocalize your dream. Don't post it on LinkedIn. <laughs> Don't necessarily go tell your boss you're quitting. I'm not talking about extremes. I'm talking about listening to that inner quiet voice inside of you. Maybe you've gone to play golf. Maybe you're going for a swim. Maybe you're on a run. And it's just this like fleeting thought, right? There's a chapter in my book that says, oh, it was just a dream. Oh, it was just a dream. No, it wasn't just a dream. It was your dream and it matters, right? So it's not just a dream. And if you don't listen and take space and quiet and margin to process, maybe you process in the shower. Maybe you process out on a run. I process when I'm swimming laps. I have the best ideas that come to me when I'm swimming laps. What is your safety processing filter? It's very different for everyone. Maybe it's lifting weights. Maybe it's playing music. Yep. I don't know. Find it, go do it, and wait for you to hear something. I love that. There's a few things I just want to touch on. First of all, based on everybody that I've engaged with, especially kind of in my previous life where I used to think about resilience a lot, where people really got knocked on their ass or they were in a really difficult situation, I don't think I've ever met somebody that got knocked on their ass where they didn't say, God, I am so grateful for that experience. So that's the first thing. So much so actually that the gentleman that I just interviewed, uh, Cooper Eisenman, uh, was a hardcore drug addict, like even heroin, which God, that's scary. I asked him like, you know, now that you reflect on everything you've gone through, would you change anything? And he's like, hell no, because it is who I am today. And so, I mean, talk about being down and out. And now he is grateful for the situation he's gone through. And then I remember talking to my daughter, I've got an incredible uh, 21 year old daughter that's going to be an interior designer. So, um, I may need her pimping her business for a second. She's amazing. But I remember probably four or five years ago when she was in the stupid process of like applying for colleges. And I don't even remember what it was, but something not bad, but in the context of a, you know, junior or senior in high school, it was a big deal to her. And I remember asking her, think back over the last year of something that's bad that happened. That in the moment was a big thing that really matters now. And she's like, gosh, dad, I can't think of one thing. 
And it actually taught me in the moment, like, wow, there's all this shit that I obsess about all the time because I think it's going to turn out so much worse than it does when in fact it actually really wasn't a big deal. So I, I really appreciate what you had to say. And then the last thing is like, think about what your life would be like if you got to the end, whenever that may be. And you thought about, wow, I had a dream because sometimes dreams sound a bit woo woo, but like dreams are, are what make us and who we are. It's like the thing that lights us on fire and don't get to the end of your life where you're like, mm, well, I could have had the chance if I just did something, but I'd let it go. Mm -hmm. That's not a good place to be. Yeah. I mean, look, and I, I hate to kind of end on this somber note, but you know, I'm a cyclist, I'm a triathlete yeah. and here in Texas, our cycling community, um, unfortunately experiences text messages and notifications and things like this all the time where someone's out on the road and it's mm. a life threatening emergency and, you know, someone dies or, you know, my friend just broke her collarbone in a cycling um, race. And so, you know, I live not on the edge, but I kind of do. And, and, um, you know, life is really short. Life is short. Life is precious. And I just think that when you daydream, it's okay. It's okay to daydream a little bit and to really put yourself in that position where you, you ask what if, and then you say, but how, okay. Yeah. Now you have your how, and then you just curiously take your first step. Hmm. I wonder if I go, you know, I wonder what will happen if I reach out to so-and-so and ask them about this. So it's, it's not a, it's not like a signed in blood, you know, okay, this is going to happen. Now I'm going to take my entire life savings and, you know, we, we have wisdom and discernment, but yeah, it's, it's a sort of, what if I don't wake up tomorrow? And I think so I'm going to, yeah, so do I. And I'm going to end this on a happy note, but one comment on, on death. I, I'm almost 51. I'll be 51 in two and a half months. And I do think about like death all the time. I think about the fact that like the likelihood is more than likelihood. I've lived like way more than 50% of my life. And when I start to put into context that I can remember back to when I was like in, you know, first grade and it feels like yesterday, which mm -hmm. essentially would be when my life would be over if I were to move the clock forward, that motivates me to do things now. And so I do think a hell, even though it's like a total cliche, like, you know, life is short, all that bullshit, but like, it is helpful to realize that like, you don't have a lot of time. And I think oftentimes when people are so buried in the work that they're doing or all the other obligations, they don't see time slipping by. And that's why I do think reflecting on your dream and recognizing that you don't have an infinite amount of time is important. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Okay. This is the, the high note, Emily. So Yay. I could, I could like summarize your story. Um, it'd probably take me 20 minutes. So I'm just going to hit the highlights. I mean, I think the thing that's important is you have been extremely successful in your career. I think in the last six months, you found yourself kind of knocked on your ass where you're trying to figure out, you know, who you are, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to go back to corporate life. But you've created this life for yourself in a very short period of time where I forget exactly the number, but I think you said you have 12 paid clients. You released a damn book. You're, you're, you're doing your audio book right now. Uh, you're doing triathlons. Like life is pretty goddamn good for you. And it's only been six months since, you know, you had the moment where you had to kind of pivot. And so the question I have is when you think about this journey that you've been on, 
it's kind of the name of the podcast. Um, what's the what's the song that comes to mind that really brings to life this journey for you? Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready, Mike. I'm a big Spotify fan. Do I play it or do I just tell you what it is? <laughs> oh, you, you play it if you're, un, if you're comfortable, just, you know, hit okay. play, share it for about five to seven seconds and maybe share a bit about okay. it. Okay. Hold on. Let me, here we go. I have never heard of Rue Paines. I guess that's who it is, Emily, or the song. So share a bit about it. It's actually a pretty cool song, but why'd you pick that one? Yeah, so if you if you heard what it, he said, he said, I wonder where I'd be if it hadn't been for daydreams. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's kind of this indie singer-songwriter, and it came across my Spotify playlist in the spring when I was preparing to launch my book. And I was actually putting together a playlist about dreams because I was playing a playlist that were all songs about dreams at my book launch party. And it kind of struck me. I'm, I'm standing on Town Lake. I'm running. And he's saying, I wonder where I'd be if it hadn't been for daydreams, the river running free just beyond the, the day spring. Or essentially, he's saying, like, what would, it, what would happen if I daydreamed and what would happen if I jumped into the river going downstream just beyond this other day spring. And so the, the concept is, and this is what I leave my, my listeners with here on your, on your podcast is don't be afraid to daydream. I, I don't think we leave enough time and space in our day in our lives to daydream. Think back to when you were a child and you laid down on the ground and you looked up at the sky, you looked up at the clouds and you tried to find animals in the clouds or got so lost in your thoughts that you were just daydreaming. You know, I babysit different kids and I've got nieces and nephews and, and their heads are always in the clouds. They're always like thinking about random questions and random thoughts. And I kind of wish that as adults, we would live a little bit more like that. And and furthermore, if you daydream, I wonder where you're going to be. If you know, I wonder where you'd be if you if you hadn't dared to daydream. I love that, especially because I daydream and have for the last probably 20, 25 years, uh, every single day. So I would say it's also daydream, which I totally agree with, but also listen, listen to what mm -hmm. your dreams are and maybe even do something about them, which you've mm -hmm. done. And, and still trying to do. And still trying to do. Well, Emily, thank you. Uh, thank you for spending all this time. I think we went a lot longer than we thought we were going to, and I probably could have gone even longer. I know I could have. But thank you for being a guest. Time to sing your song. Thank you for being a great friend. And, and thank you for inspiring people that are going to listen to your story, maybe to do something different in their life, and maybe to give them the confidence to daydream to listen to their daydream and then actually to do something about it. So thank you and best of luck in your business. Thank you, Mike. It's such a pleasure and really happy to be here today. And we just hope that everyone listening will um, feel a little bit more inspired today to follow their dream.
I am inspired. Emily, thank you for sharing your journey. Your story of being directionalist in the corporate world is going to resonate with many because it is what so many people are going through today. You also really give hope. It can be pretty damn awesome. So let me leave you with my top takeaways from my time with Emily. First, if you are going through something hard in life, fast forward to the future. Oftentimes, when you look ahead, the crap that you are dealing with actually feels pretty trivial. Second, and this may be the most important one, invite others into your dream. You may just find the person who can help you make it come alive. And if you're working in an environment that is consumed by scarcity, know that there is a better way. But this is important. It is 100% up to you to do something about it. And finally, if you're a leader, ask yourself whether you cultivate scarcity or abundance on your teams. It may be the most important question you can ask to create a place where people desperately want to work and stay. So I'm on the hunt for great stories of people who were once lost and now are singing their song. Hit me up if you have a great story or you know somebody that does. On social media, Michael Kearney on LinkedIn and mkearney33 on Twitter. You can even email me at mike at timetosingyoursong.com. Until next time, start singing your song because as the anonymous quote goes, when tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you've left behind. Let it be something good.